Good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here. The last time I preached here was in March, and, so I, and I know there are a bunch of new faces, so a lot of you are like, oh, who is this guy? Uh, normally, when I'm here, I'm sitting over in this area. My name is Stephen Estock. I am a PCA pastor, but I'm not in a local church, so I work for our denomination. And I serve in the area of discipleship ministries. I travel around our denomination helping leaders in the area of children, youth, men's, women's, older adult ministry, leadership training, our constitutional documents, all of that. Lots of stuff that you say, well, that sounds boring. Well, it's not. It's a lot. It's very exciting. And I love meeting people all over the denomination. Today, I have the privilege of opening God's Word as we look together at Exodus chapter 13. So I invite you now to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13 is very interesting because as you come to this text, you are in the shadow of the ten plagues that God had brought upon Egypt as he was delivering his people. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, he told Moses, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to do a mighty work, and, and you will see it. And so you see all those plagues. And then that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh called Moses in and said, get out. Get out. Take the people and get out. And so you had 600,000 slaves who left Egypt. And not only that, God had promised. He said, I want you to ask all the Egyptians for their gold and so all their valuable things. And so what happened is 600,000 slaves plundered what arguably was the greatest world power at that time. And so God says to his people here in Exodus 13, set apart the firstborn. And you've got all these interesting things in chapter 13. Setting apart the firstborn, he's going to give them this annual feast. He's keeping this 400-year promise. Kids are going to ask questions. Animal sacrifices, bones of some dead old man, a cloud. How do you put all these things together? Or more importantly... What does God want us to do with all this? Now, people come to worship. You come in with different mindsets. Some of us feel pretty good. Life is going well. You feel on top of the world. Others of us, not so much. Well, the thing about this text is whether you're coming into this Sanctuary into this word, uh, feeling good or feeling powerless. The message is the same. Trust and obey this God who delivers his people. Let's follow along as we read together Exodus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. 
No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth." For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of, of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's pray. Lord, This is your word. You inspired Moses to write it so many years ago. 
And you, by your power, have preserved it year after year, time after time. And now we have it in our own language and we are reading it. And so, Father, we pray that you will open our eyes. That we may see the wonderful things you have for us. Lord, show us who you are. Show us Jesus. And then, Lord, may our lives be shaped by the reality of what, who you are and what you do for your people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was traveling to a conference in early November. And I was reading a book that an author had sent me. And it was a book, the title is Digital Dominion. And Tim, we're probably going to start carrying it in the bookstore. But the Digital Dominion, as I was reading it on the flight, what the, the topic of the book was how our devices shape us. And it's a book written for parents, it's a book written for any adult, it's a book written for teenagers, it's a book written for anybody who likes to use these devices because it says our lives are shaped by these devices. And it also talks about how we as human beings are created for rituals and rhythms. And our, the patterns of our lives, whether those patterns are intentional or unintentional, we just sort of go along, whatever the patterns are, they not only fill our calendar, they form our character. He uses some example. He asks the question, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Do you grab your phone? And do you check the messages that came during the night? Or do you have the phone right there and you, you don't do an alarm clock anymore, you just do the phone? Or do you, when you're at a stoplight and you're there, do you check your phone? And he asks all these questions and he brings up this point that we as human beings, and especially as believers, are created to remember and reflect. But we have these banners that pop up on our phone giving us breaking news. And those little, you know, those little gotcha things that pop up on your, on your feed. And then the author said this. The peace of the gospel is replaced by the anxiety of crisis. When I read that, those words pierced me. And I looked up. I was on the plane and I looked up. And everybody around me had their devices up. And I thought, my goodness, how are we being shaped? Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. This is not an anti-technology rant. <laughs> but we do need to understand our nature as human beings, especially our nature as fallen human beings. Mankind throughout history is prone to grow cold to the things of God. That's the underlying issue in this text. God had given them this great deliverance from Egypt. The people, they were powerless, but God had saved them in an amazing way. But how do you keep that connection? How do you keep that focus? How do you keep that, that high as you were moving on into the days ahead? 
And so what does God do? God provides ceremonies. God says, here, I'm giving you these rituals that I want you as my people to repeat so that you will stay focused on who I am and what I do. And that, those rituals that they would celebrate time and again, maintain the connection. But what happens? We just let things fall by the wayside. And we get so distracted. But So the, the challenge is then and now, God's people must hold on to these ceremonies of salvation. But more importantly... Hold on to the God to whom those rituals point. Well, how do we do that? Well, as we look through this text, I want us to look at three commands. Repeat the ceremony, remember the meaning, and hold on to the Savior. Let's begin. Repeat the ceremony. The incredible events of the Exodus... What happens is, God gives his people two things. And he says, do them. Well, he begins, consecrate the firstborn. You see that in verses 1 and 2. God claims the firstborn, both of man and a beast. Now think, why the firstborn? Well, that was a sign of the strength of the human being. And, and those, that firstborn represented all the births that were to come. And so it says, consecrate that firstborn. What, what does that mean? It means you're setting apart as special. That This is something that I so I cherish, I love, and I'm giving it to God. Now, God said, well, if, it, if it's a beast that you're going to need for a donkey, that you're going to need for your agriculture, you can redeem that by a lamb. Or, and it's a human, don't practice human sacrifice, Redeem that by a lamb. But he says, consecrate that firstborn. Be intentional to say, this, this firstborn belongs to God. And then he says, celebrate the feast. See, a hasty departure from Egypt meant that they could not prepare bread with yeast. And so, they had unleavened bread. And then God told them year after year. And then leaven throughout Scripture becomes a metaphor for sin, and a metaphor for the slavery that was in Egypt. And he says, I want you to remember every year, seven days, a feast of unleavened bread, and then you'll have the Passover. When God's angel passed over you because you had the blood of the lamb covering you, and he killed the firstborn of Egypt. And so he says, I want you to break this unleavened bread because of what the Lord did. And so in verses 9 and 10, he says, and 16, he says, repeat this year after year after year. And he says, let it be a sign on your hand, a memorial before your eyes. What he means by that is, let it always be with you. It, it needs to become second nature to you. And then verses 8 and 14, he says, as you celebrate, your children are going to ask. What does this mean? And you will tell them of the great deeds of the Lord. And so the idea is this. The repetition kept the connection. And so as you 
consecrated the firstborn, as you did the feast, it was an expression of your faith and trust in the God who gave the ceremony. And so that's why ceremonies, and you see it in Scripture, you see it in the life of the church today, it's an element in the life of the, it's the life and the worship of who we are as God's people. Now, as you go in Scripture, you'll see that the ceremonies adapt over time. As God reveals more and more of who He is and what He's doing in Jesus Christ, He's going to change the ceremonies. But what do we celebrate now? Well, we have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. We have weekly worship. We have the church calendar. We're about to go. Next week, we begin the season of Advent. We have a season in some uh, communions, they have Lent. Some communions, we have uh, Pentecost. There are all types of this, this ritual that we go through, these patterns of worship. We have a worship. We begin with praise. We have a confession of sin. We sing. We preach. We have a benediction. We sing the doxology. All of this is, is a rhythm that we go through. And it's easy to say, I've done this before. I don't need to do it anymore. And so there's this danger of dropping what we begin to call the same old thing. Uh, English author C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Some of you may know of one of his literary works called The Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters is a very creative book. And in it, C.S. Lewis sort of has this, this main character. His name is Screwtape. All right, so Screwtape is a senior devil who is writing to his nephew. His name's Wormwood. Don't name your children these things. All right, so his name is Wormwood, and Wormwood's a junior devil. And so what Screwtape is doing is he's helping Wormwood know how to tempt the human subject. And he says, one of the things you can use is the horror of the same old thing. And Screwtape in the book calls God the enemy. And so he writes, The enemy has created these humans for rhythm. And there's this rhythm of change and permanence. For example, the seasons of the year. You have the seasons every year, but they're different which each time, each year. And then you have the church year. You have the same thing, but it's celebrated a little differently. And then, then Screwtape says, what you need to do is you need to twist this love for change and turn it into a love for novelty. Where anything old, anything you've done before, that's bad. Because what this does is it raises discontent. And so with this content, you can lead that human in so many different directions. Isn't that the way of our culture today? <laughs> we are so discontent. But don't just say that's how those, those people are. All of us are tempted to do that. And we can say, well, worship, it's just the same thing every week. I don't have to go this week. I've heard that message before. That James, he preaches that gospel every week. I, I've heard it before. Amen. 
Christmas, Easter, we celebrate them. They're boring. We've done everything before. But then you have to ask a question. What about rote tradition? What, 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 can't you sort of just go through the motions? That's a good question. And yeah, it's something you need to be concerned about because you can fall into a, a, a pattern of just doing the ceremonies without thinking. Jesus said this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He was talking to the Pharisees. And Pharisees are very good about making sure you do the traditions correctly. But they don't have the heart. Well, how do you keep the heart? How do you keep the meaning? Well, you remember the meaning. Mindless ceremonialism does harm. But you remember the meaning. God ties these ceremonies to past realities. Verse 3, he says, remember this day. The Lord, and he uses that, the, the name Lord has all capital letters. That's the covenant name of God. That's the, the name that God says, I want to have a relationship with a group of people. So I'm going to let them call me Lord. This is the name he revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He said, the Lord brought his people out. The Lord's strong hand ended their slavery. The Lord killed the firstborn of their enemies, but he spared his chosen people. And so God's saying, when you consecrate your firstborn, when you celebrate this feast, remember the Lord's great acts. He is the God who judges. He is the God who redeems. He is the God who frees. Those are realities. Yes, they're in the past. But when Moses was delivering this message from God to the people... He was saying there will also be a present relevance. Because in verse 5, he says, when you enter the land, and the people who will enter the land will be the people that weren't there when they came out of Egypt. When you enter the land, and there will be other enemies, you repeat the ritual. You remember God's acts. The message is not God works for them, but the message is God works for his people. And so the promise, even now in this text, he says that promise I made to Abraham 400 years ago, that promise applies right now and you're experiencing it as you're coming out of Egypt and you're going to this land that I promised to Abraham. Here's the biblical principle. God's acts in history are part of the story of all of his people. All of his faithful people. So what does that mean? It means as we sit here today, in the year 2023, the events we're reading about are for us. They tell us about the God who is right here among us now. And rather than ask the question, what has God done? That's what we should be asking. What has God done? How has he revealed himself in his actions? And he recorded in his word to give us years later. Now, what the, the question we like to ask is, what has God done for me lately? 
And the idea is this. If we ask the question, what has God done? The focus there is on him and his character and his power and his greatness. When we ask the question, what has God done for me lately? The focus is on us. And all of a sudden, our experience or our circumstances define his character. So we have to be careful and understand that past realities have a present relevance. But we have to go on. Because not only do they have a present, do the past realities have a present relevance, they had a future fulfillment. We have the privilege of looking back with the knowledge of the New Testament, of Jesus coming. And so as you come to this text, you have to understand the events that are recorded here in Exodus 13 actually prepare God's people. The firstborn belongs to God. By the death of the firstborn, God brings deliverance. There's redemption through a substitute. No leaven, no sin must be among it. And yes, these are just shadows. And the New Testament sheds light on it. Jesus was the firstborn son of Mary. The seed of the woman who was promised back in Genesis 3 to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the sinless substitute who redeems those who have faith in Him. Now the Old Testament person, the Old Testament here in the book of Exodus, they, they would be able to understand the basics. Deliverance through a substitute. But we have so much more. We have these ceremonies that are freshened by this meaning of who Jesus is and what God has done in him. And so we think about the Savior. Throughout this chapter, and especially in verses 17 through 22, we see the character of God who's saving his people. The Lord, who's at the centerpiece of these ceremonies. See, repeating the rituals refresh. They refresh our understanding. And they call us to hold on to the Savior. Well, who is the Savior? His character is He delivers. You see it in verse 3, 5, 11, 14 and 16. Same thing is repeated. The Lord brought. The covenant God brought. God took his people from one place to a better place. And the Exodus event, you'll see it all throughout the whole Old Testament. You'll see it the rest of the book of Exodus. You see it in Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You'll see it in the prophets. You'll see it in the Psalms. The Exodus is the centerpiece of the Old Testament 
Old Testament understanding of God. God is a God who delivers. God is a God who takes the slave and makes them free. God is the God who takes from darkness into the light. Now the path isn't always easy. But there we need to see his character. Not only does he deliver, but he guides. In verse 17, the word shifts from brought to led. It's the same general idea, but a a tiny little change to invite the active direction. In verse 21, we see how he does it. Through a cloud, a, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He met with Moses. The idea is this. God does not leave his people to themselves. Verse 17 and 18. It says the easier way would have been to take them along the the road to the sea. But it would have gone into the path of the Philistines. And God said, I'm not going to bring them there. I'm going to lead them to the other way, into the wilderness, to the Red Sea. Why? Because their faith is weak. They would not be able to stand war. They would want to turn back. Which shows another aspect of his character. He is compassionate. The people were armed for battle, but their faith was weak. They would turn back. And God spared even as he strengthened. You're going to see it in the coming chapters. These people were a stubborn. The Bible says they're stiff-necked and rebellious. And we're going to see it time and time again. But God is a God of compassion. And he shows his compassion by giving him these ceremonies. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. God knew they were stiff-necked and rebellious. But he still delivered them. See, our human nature is we are prone to distraction. We are prone to forgetfulness. But here's the beauty of God. He meets us in our weakness. And he says, I know who you are. And I want to deliver you. Another thing, and I'm sorry I forgot to put it up on the slide. Another aspect that we see in this text is he is faithful. Again, the covenant name of God is used throughout this text. It's the God who made a promise to Abraham. It's the God who is in the burning bush. In verse 19, we see Joseph, who had been that great ruler in Egypt... But the people had forgotten that Joseph, and now they were slaves. Joseph believed. God will visit his people. Why? Because God is faithful. And so as those bones were being carried, can you imagine people, what are are these bones doing here? It was a living proof that God keeps his promises to save. Wait a minute. Is he going to save a bunch of stiff-necked and rebellious people who are time and again, they don't even have enough faith to go by the shortest route? Yes, he will. <laughs> he does. Is he going to say, these are slaves? Will he save them? Yes, he will. 
But even more than that, not only is he faithful, he is present. Verses 21 and 22, you have this interesting meteorological (laughs) event here. A cloud and a pillar. I agree with the commentators who say, actually, this is the same thing. But in the daytime, it appeared as a cloud. At night, it appeared as a pillar of fire. The reason why it's the same, it's the presence of God. The very presence of God. And that cloud will descend on the tent of meeting when Moses meets with God. It is his very presence. And through that cloud, he guided, protected, gave light, triggered fear. And then look at verse 22. This cloud did not depart from before the people. And the way the original language is written, did not depart, is emphasized. This God is present with His people. His intimate presence. Now the New Testament reveals to us that that presence is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. Now maybe you're like me. And your human nature says, I'd like a cloud to guide me. (laughs) Well, what's happening here in this text is the text is revealing what we're going to celebrate so much in the coming weeks. God is present with His people. He is with His people. He is Emmanuel. What are you going to do with that? Oh, we're going to be singing lots of songs about this Jesus born as a baby in a manger. What are you going to do with that? He is Emmanuel. Yes, we want a cloud. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know what is actually within you? It is the Spirit. What Paul says, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But maybe you're here and you're not a believer. You sort of kept God at arm's length. Know this. If that's you, the same God is present here. We can't see Him, but He's present here. And He says, come. Even as James referenced earlier, He says, come. If you're weary and heavy laden, come. He offers a relationship. Yes, the coming weeks will be filled with songs and traditions and we'll be distracted. We will have so many things to do. May God give us all the grace to center on the story of God who saves His people. That's what the Exodus is all about. Because as we celebrate these ceremonies, it ties us to the grand work of God's salvation. Each one of us is living a story. But the beauty of the church is we all have our stories together. And they're part of a greater story of what God is doing 
to redeem his people and bring us to the point where we will sin no more and we will love him and see him face to face. That God who was revealed in the past in the Exodus is with us in the future. And all of us go to the future the same way. 60 seconds in a minute. 60 minutes in an hour. And so, moment by moment, we trust. You know, we have ceremonies here at Parkview. Every week we close the service with the doxology. First in Spanish, then in English. Maybe you don't know the background of that song. Actually, the doxology as we sing it, it goes back 350 years. It was written by an English archbishop. And it's been through the church that long. Churches all over the world will be singing that same thing today. The hymn that we sing it to is called the Old 100th. What that refers to is in Geneva, 460 years ago, in Geneva they sang a tune towards the 100th Psalm. So they named that tune Old 100th. We take those words, 350 years old, tune 460 years old, and we sing it today in Lilburn, Georgia. Oh, we're not existing just for ourselves. There's a whole ceremony. Now, another ceremony we have at Parkview is called Moments of Grace. We had one last week. Doug Hefner stand, stood up here and gave his testimony of what God was doing in his life. It hadn't been, all been easy. He had a job change. He lost a beloved pet. In his new job, he had an incredibly long commute. But Doug, who is growing in his young faith, was able to say, even in all of those things, God is meeting me. And I'm seeing how good he is. I was so encouraged as I listened to Doug, and I went up afterwards, and I said, hey, can I use your story next week in the sermon? He said, yeah. Because what is true for Doug is true for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are that presence that is always with us. Almighty God, you created us and you loved us so much that you sent your Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, Jesus Christ, as we go into this holiday season, may we more and more know it is not we who live but you who live in us. The life we live in the body, we live by faith in you, dear Jesus, who loved us and gave yourself for us. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.